0: When the Apostle Paul prayed for the believers at the Colossian church, he reminded them that God had delivered them from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, from slavery to freedom, and from condemnation to forgiveness. Only Paul could pack so much truth into one prayer. Earlier Paul had prayed that the Colossians would grow in the knowledge of God's will and in their ability to put God's truth into practice. He also prayed that they would have the strength to endure difficult days and prickly people with joy. The next time someone asks you to pray for them, read one of Paul's New Testament prayers and start packing yours with practical, everyday truth. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good.
1: The joy God can give you does not depend on your circumstances. It exists in spite of them. It exists in spite of them. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. My name is Brian. Thanks so much for stopping by. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians from a Roman prison cell. And yet his letter is filled with patience and grace for the believers there. He encouraged them to endure life's trials without letting those trials steal their joy. Today, Ron challenges you to do the same. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From his teaching series, Colossians, Jesus is Greater Than. Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, How to Pray for Others.
0: Macrothymia. Oh, another good, good uh, A-plus in Greek this morning. Macrothymia speaks of patience, not necessarily with circumstances, but with people, <laughs> with, with prickly people. Difficult days, prickly people, it all adds up to, Lord, I need some strength to endure here. You got any prickly people in your life? Turn to the person, no, don't do that. But you know, some people are like porcupines, aren't they? Just prickly, prickly, prickly. They poke you here and prick you there and sometimes intentionally to get a rise out of us. Sometimes to harm us. There are prickly people. The Apostle Paul spoke of some prickly people in his life in his second letter to Timothy chapter 4. And I love how Paul calls people out. He says, quote, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. You ever read that verse in the Bible? You wonder who Alexander was? I don't know who he was but I've met Alexander's distant cousins, (laughs) all right? They're still walking this earth, prickly people. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, Paul says. He warns Timothy about Alexander. We've all had difficult days. We've all had prickly people. And Paul understands this. This is life. I mean, he's writing from a Roman prison of all, you know, difficult circumstances, and he understands the need for the strength to endure difficult days and prickly people with joy, he says. Are you kidding me? (laughs) He drops joy into his prayer here? Sure, because joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Joy is different than happiness. You know this, but let's review. Happiness has to do with what's happening. It's circumstantially based, but joy transcends the circumstances. You can be facing difficult days, prickly people, and still be full of joy. In fact, don't let your difficult days and your prickly people steal your joy. They're the biggest joy stealers in the world but don't let them steal your joy. Why? Because you have knowledge of the will of God, and you are putting that knowledge into practice through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you are living a life, you are committed to walking in a way that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to Him, bearing spiritual fruit. And when the difficult days come, and the prickly people come, and they will, you refuse to let them steal your joy. You're going you're to endure those times with great joy. What a prayer this is. What an incredible, incredible prayer this is. Paul goes on to talk about giving thanks. He says, I pray this for you day and night. I pray ceaselessly for you. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he says, giving thanks to the Father. Thanksgiving should never be far from our prayer life. Uh, Praying people are thankful people. And prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving is always a, a healthy thing for the soul. Giving thanks to the Father. And he goes on to say, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Don't you love how Paul just piles on the theology there? But it's very practical stuff. And let me break it down for you, he's thankful primarily for two things. First, he says, because God qualified you, look at that back in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What does it mean for God to qualify us? Well, you're either qualified or disqualified, right? Have you ever interviewed for a job and you, you know, dressed up your resume, put all of your experience and your education and all of that down on your resume, you walked into that interview and they looked at you and said, I'm sorry, you're not qualified for the job. Really deflates you, doesn't it, to not be qualified? Well, um, Paul gave thanks to the Father because the Father qualified the Colossians to do what? To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'll come back to that in a moment. But the point is that God qualified them. He fitted them for service. And what you need to understand is that to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're not qualified, and neither am I. If I walk into God's presence with my moral resume, what it says is, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, disqualified. I'm not qualified based on my best moral resume to walk into the presence of a righteous God and say, I belong here. He's going to say, disqualified every time. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Disqualified. But I can exchange my moral resume, and you can too, with Jesus Christ's resume, who is always qualified. He died on the cross for your sins. He lived a perfect life. He perfectly fulfilled the law, meaning he never broke a commandment. He is the perfect, sinless Son of God who paid the penalty for your sins and my sins and makes us qualified qualified to share in an eternal inheritance. You know you have an inheritance coming that you can't even calculate. (laughs) And we are sharing in the inheritance along with a group of people known as the saints in light. Do you know that as a believer in Jesus Christ the word saint applies to you? I know you're looking to the person to your left and right and thinking, Well, you don't look much like a saint. I live with you. I know you're not much of a saint, all right? But it's God who qualifies us as saints because I I lay aside my moral resume and I pick up Jesus Christ, and I'm always qualified when I walk in with his resume.
1: Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, Lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. If it's been a while since you stopped by our website, somethinggoodradio.org, you may want to pay us a visit. We've released a new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television. You'll also find our digital library where you can search for biblical answers to some of your most challenging questions. Watch, listen, and download for free. That's somethinggoodradio.org.
0: The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66 from Chicago, Illinois to Santa Monica, California.
1: Get your kicks on Route 66.
0: Get your kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the Biblical Route 66.
1: Join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, is now available. For a gift of $30 or more, request your copy of the 384-page book today. When you order the print book, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The digital library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and 8 eBooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible is a welcome addition to any home library. And Pastor, as you look back on your 66 messages through the Bible, what has been most impactful about the experience? And what are you hoping our listeners will get from the book? Brian, one of the most impactful things for me was to experience the grace of
0: God energizing and equipping me to hammer out the project. Uh, My relationship with the Lord has grown even more intimate from having persevered to the end. One of the things I hoped to accomplish was to show people how the whole of God's Word hangs together and to do it without writing endless volumes of commentary. So this uh, abbreviated resource, called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, is a companion to the Bible, and offers the reader a bit of a, a bird's eye view of the major themes of each book, showing how all 66 books of the Bible fit together to produce a unified work of the Holy
1: Spirit. Stop by SomethingGoodRadio.org to request the ultimate road trip through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament for your gift of $30 or more. Give over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Now let's get you back to the rest of today's message, How to Pray for Others. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: The saints in light is a term, uh, a Jewish idiom that speaks of lovers of truth and morality. We are among those who love the truth, starting with the person of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus who told us that uh, the truth will set us free, and he, he spoke the truth to us as well. And we are among those who, who are the, the saints in light, sharing in an inheritance because the Father qualified us. Paul says, I, I give thanks to God on behalf of you and the fact that he does that. Then he shifts from you to us. He can't help himself. He gets, gets, goes on in verse 13. He says, and he has delivered us. He qualified you, but oh... He delivered us. The word deliver means to rescue, to rescue something that is uh, distraught and going in a bad direction, to to rescue something that is lost. And there are four ways that he speaks of being delivered. Uh, First, from darkness to light, from darkness to light. In the Bible, darkness and light are often metaphors for truth or no truth, Darkness is not the opposite of light. Darkness is the absence of light. And if you're in darkness, spiritual darkness, apart from Jesus Christ, you are groping around in this world. You are walking in spiritual darkness. Just close your eyes for a moment, and imagine what it's like to be spiritually blind and in darkness. You can have all the light in the world coming through your eyes, and you can see physically, but you're spiritually in darkness. And you need the light of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, what a, what a transformation took place there. He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Who's in charge of your life? You say, well, I am. I'm the captain of my soul. No, not really. The God of this world, who is Satan himself, the fallen angel Lucifer, really has you in the grip of His kingdom. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, you once once walked in the course of this world according to the God of this world. You're probably oblivious to it. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he transfers us from this kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Thirdly, from slavery to freedom. That's captured in that word redemption. The idea that we were once in spiritual bondage to our sin, but now we are set free in Jesus Christ. A lot of people have the idea that freedom is, you know, the absence of all moral restraints. And just the opposite is true. You start erasing the moral boundaries that God establishes in His Word for our good, not, not to steal our fun, but for our good. You start erasing those moral boundaries and those moral restraints, you won't be more free. Eventually, you'll be more enslaved and in bondage and addicted to sin. This week at student camp, I had the privilege of speaking on Monday night, and we talked about three or four philosophies of life that uh, threatened to kidnap our thoughts and to take us captive. And I mentioned to the students, one of those is the sexual revolution. I took them back to the 1960s, and I said, you know, I was born in 1963. Don't do the math, but it's like 56 years ago makes me qualified to be a fossil. I get that, all right? Most of our students were born in the early 2000s, right, guys? And so something that happened in in the 1960s, a, a, a thought, a philosophy that came out of that, that erased all of the moral boundaries with the idea that you'll be free, you'll be liberated to express yourself any way you want sexually, has produced a society that is enslaved It wasn't long after the sexual revolution in the 1960s. We had the decision in 1973, Roe v. Wade, and we've slaughtered how many millions of children in the womb? Not long after that, uh, no-fault divorce came. Uh, The rise in sexually transmitted diseases, and now sexual identity and gender fluidity a generation later, we don't even know what is male and female because we erase the moral boundaries thinking better of ourselves. And we enslaved ourselves to a way of thinking that has put us way, way over here adrift in moral sea. But Jesus Christ comes to deliver us from slavery to our sin, to freedom in Christ, and then finally from condemnation to forgiveness. You see the word forgiveness there at the end, the forgiveness of sins? I love Romans 8 and verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Why? Because you've been forgiven your sins through faith in Christ, fully forgiven. Even though the devil loves to whisper in your ear, yeah, but don't you remember you did this or last week you stumbled over here? The Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And if we understand Job chapter 1, that he has some access to the throne room of God, he loves to step into that presence and accuse you and accuse me. And every time he does, you know what? Our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, the devil is our accuser, Jesus is over here. He's our advocate. Puts his arm around us and says, don't condemn this man. Don't condemn this woman. He's one of mine. I have forgiven his sins. I had died on the cross for his sins, and he or she has put faith and trust in me. And Paul is thanking God in his prayer that God qualified you when you were marked disqualified, when the devil said you weren't worth anything. When you were marked disqualified, he qualified you. And he delivered you from all of this. Isn't this a marvelous prayer? Wouldn't it change the way we pray for one another if we just read a prayer like this and said, you know, I don't exactly know how to pray for you this week. I know you're going through a difficult time. Why why don't I just pray verses 9 through 14 over you? Because anytime we pray the Word of God, guess what? We're praying the will of God. And we can have confidence that God will answer these prayers. When we do it ceaselessly, when we don't give up, when we persist in our prayers, and when we fill our prayers uh, with thanksgiving. How to pray for others. What a wonderful, wonderful instruction from the Apostle Paul.
1: Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, How to Pray for Others. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, let's talk for a minute about this deliverance from condemnation to forgiveness, because there are a lot of Christians out there who get bogged down in self-condemnation. What can you say to encourage them to break free from that mindset?
0: Well, Brian, let me start with two extreme ideas, two groups of people that fall on opposite sides of the same coin. For example, some people say, I believe I'm going to heaven because I've lived a good life. Others say, I believe I'm beyond redemption because I've lived a bad life. Now at first glance, one group seems prideful and the other seems humble. At least that second group is acknowledging their sin, right? But at the risk of sounding harsh, there's an element of pride in both groups because both are relying on their own performance as the key to their eternal destiny. The good news is neither group is beyond redemption. We simply need to steer them towards the cross of Christ and invite them to believe what he has done on their behalf. Now there's a third group I'd like to suggest. These are believers in Jesus Christ who know they're saved but who are still getting bogged down in guilt and self-condemnation. If you're listening today and you find yourself in this group, I want to remind you that condemnation comes from Satan and no one else. He is the source of it. You don't have to do anything to earn God's salvation. You don't have to do anything to earn His love or His approval. When we feel as though we do, when we buy into that idea of performance, uh, we're actually taking something away from Christ's completed work on the cross. So self-examination, yes. Self-condemnation, no. God does not condemn us, and neither should we condemn ourselves. This is why the gospel is such great news, Brian. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We cannot behave our way into heaven, nor can we who are true believers in Jesus Christ misbehave our way into hell. Our salvation is totally dependent on the behavior of Christ and Christ alone. When we acknowledge his completed work on the cross as payment for our sin, his righteousness is appropriated to us. We are hidden in Christ, and heaven is the reward for all who rely on His performance, His finished work on the cross, not
1: our own. Just one more reason why the gospel is such good news. Ron, we're almost out of time, but before we go, tell us what's on the menu tomorrow as you continue your series, Colossians, Jesus is Greater Than. Well, Brian, I
0: often hear people ask the question, what is God really like? Let's face it, He's a a mystery in a lot of ways, and even though the Bible tells us plenty about Him, we can never fully understand Him while living in a fallen world. But here's what I'd like to suggest to anyone who has questions about who God is. If you want to know what God is like, study Jesus. Study what He is like. I'll dive deeper into this tomorrow, but here's the idea I want you to hold on to. Jesus Christ is not merely the only begotten Son of God. He is the visible manifestation of God Himself. The Apostle Paul sheds some light on this idea in his letter to the Colossians, and
1: that's where we're headed tomorrow, right here on Something Good Radio. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Image of the Invisible God. Join us then for something good for Ron and the entire team at something good radio. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.